Hey, Pooplings, it's me, Jessica. July marks the return of Listener Request Month, which will now be dubbed Hashtag Poopling Picks Month. All throughout the month of July, Dustin and I will be taking your requests for movies to discuss. All you have to do is send us a voicemail with your name, location, and movie request, along with why we should pick your movie. It could be a funny or touching anecdote about what the movie means to you, or you could try convincing us by appealing to our particular movie tastes. Be creative! All we ask is that you try to keep your message under 60 seconds. To send us your voicemail, visit vocaroo.com. That's V-O-C-A-R-O-O.com. And use the in-browser interface to record your message. Don't forget to introduce yourself and tell us where you're calling from. Once you finish recording, click the link that says, click here to save. Choose the email sharing option and send your voicemail to contact at popcornpoops.com. Submissions must be in by 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time on Sunday, June 19th, 2016. We can't wait to hear from you. This episode of Popcorn Poops is brought to you by Audible.com. Please visit audibletrial.com slash popcornpoops for a 30-day trial of their audiobook subscription service. When you sign up, you'll even receive a free audiobook that's yours to keep whether or not you continue with Audible after your trial has expired. That's audibletrial.com slash popcornpoops for your free audiobook. We are the Popcorn Poops. Welcome to Popcorn Poops, the best married couple movie podcast slash commentary track hybrid audio program on the internet. My name is Jessica, and with me as always is my bearded husband, Dustin. Hello, bearded husband Dustin here. How you, <laughs> I'm ready to podcast. Are you ready to podcast? I'm ready to podcast. How are you doing this week? I'm doing very well. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to continue the tradition that I've set for the past two weeks and have a correction segment where I correct some dumbass shit that I said. And mm-hmm. the dumbass shit I said last week was I said the word scapegoat and I didn't use it right because <laughs> I don't know the, I don't know English words, apparently. So there you go. I think in 85 episodes, you have made like maybe five corrections and three of them have been back to back over the course of the last three weeks. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm on a roll. I think I think I'm just my brain is deteriorating. (laughs) Well, I can vouch for that. As always, you can find us on our website at popcornpoops.com. You can follow us on Twitter at popcornpoops or individually. I'm at J Casper Kramer. And I'm at Dusty Cram Cram. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher and also check out our online merchandise shop put some new stuff up there today what'd so you put up i put up a, a shirt that says proud poopling oh nice so that that's pretty cute and i put up a beer mug that you can get now and uh, i've just i've updated some of the other shirts too now there's stuff on the back where it actually has the website and says the best married couple movie podcast slash commentary track hybrid audio program on the internet that's cool if you would rather just throw cold hard cash at us there is a donut button on the website. I did not update the website to make the donate button a donut button, but it's coming. The donut button is coming. You know, it's great as I actually wasn't trying to make a joke. I just messed it up again. That's why we're changing it. (laughs) So every month we have a monthly theme, and this month we are doing hashtag, hashtag Franchise Origins Month. We'll be watching the first films in franchises that have installments coming out this summer. Starting things off is Brian Singer's 2000 film, X-Men. If you're going to sync the movie up with us, please pause as soon as the X in the 20th Century Fox vanity card finishes fading to black. You'll notice it fades a bit slower than the rest of the logo. That's an Easter egg. Yes, it is. While you're finding the sync spot, Dustin, I believe, has a review to read you from Stitcher. I do, hot damn it. 
this is this is from Stitcher. It is a five star review from Waffles the Return, and it reads: "The podcast so nice. I've reviewed it twice. Great show, great hosts, great fun. I can think of few better ways to get through the workday. Thank you, Waffles the Return. We appreciate you double dipping on that review there, and uh, and giving us a few more nice words than you gave us before." We really appreciate that. Very much appreciated. If you want to leave us a review, we'd really love it, and we'll read it on the show, no matter what horrible things you say about us. But if you say horrible things, um, we would prefer if you uh, pay for that with some five stars. Five stars. That's that's the fee. Five stars is the fee for making us say some ridiculous, terrible shit. But we do appreciate honesty. But we also like these stars. <laughs> it's time to start the movie. Sinkers, press play at the beep after the countdown. Ready? Three, two, one. It's been a while since I had seen this movie. It had been a while. Okay. This is pretty much a perfect example of our relationship right here. Do you like X-Men, the animated series? I mean, I didn't watch a lot of TV as a kid. I, I, you know this very well. Probably most of the pooplings know it, too, because I say it pretty frequently. But I just didn't watch a lot of TV as a kid. So yeah, you kind of use it as like a mark of uh, like you were better than me or something. Yeah, like, well, I mean, it was. Oh, well, I didn't see in front of the TV am, for my but... ch- whole childhood. I had an imagination and I went outside. And what time I spent indoors, I spent creating and writing and honing my craft. Right? Well, it's true. That's, okay. All right, then. Well, uh, we actually had someone on uh, Twitter, at X-Men TAS, which stands for the animated series, uh, wants to know if, 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 you know, if we like the X-Men animated series show. And I, I don't really have that much of a history with it, but I do have really vivid memories of what few episodes I saw. Mm. And the older I get, the more I find that that's the case with a lot of cartoons that I loved as a kid. Like I would say my favorite kid as a, uh, my favorite cartoon as a kid was probably Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and mm. then Batman the Animated Series probably. Um, and I could probably, I've watched more episodes of those shows in my adulthood than I ever did as a kid. Right, I don't know why they just. Well, the I mean, that you I have Netflix just now, so that's, that's one of the major reasons. <laughs> that's true, but it's weird how we like. Carry if you had stuff. had that as a kid, and you could just sit there and just watch the entire, you know, show like the whole thing from start to finish, like you wouldn't have as a kid. You would. But have. I did. I, I did watch a few episodes of X Men: The Animated Series here pretty recently in the last year or so, and I'm surprised how much it feels like a a comic book animated like it I, really does like I said I really I don't have much of an opinion I I definitely remember the theme song I remember seeing the show a few times when it was on TV I'm sure I watched a few episodes um, but I just didn't watch a lot of TV as a kid so so it really didn't have that big of an impact on me let's dig into this scene right so here. let's because i have lots of things to say about it okay so we're, we're starting uh the movie off in poland 1944 eric lensher also known as magneto is being separated from his as parents child. as a child separated uh, from his parents who are being taken to a separate concentration camp than he is uh, i assume they're taking they're be- definitely being taken to a concentration i camp. believe it's supposed to be auschwitz you think it's supposed to be Auschwitz? I thought it was. Okay, okay. I, That's what I read online. Okay, okay, interesting. Um, but yeah, I think it's a... For, for a movie that was really the first kind of movie of this 
ilk of this type of superhero movie, which is the kind of superhero movie that we've continued to make, a superhero movie that takes the source material seriously, that actually imbues themes, that doesn't um, that doesn't shy away from uh, thematic material. It's not just about a group of doofy superheroes in spandex trying to uh, trying to save the world. It's it's about more than that. And this is the, I feel like the first superhero movie that really, first comic book movie really, that kind of got that. Um, I guess first huge superhero movie that got that. Um, what I wanted to talk about with this is that uh, what's surprising to me is that there are so many people out there that think this scene is tasteless. Yeah, it is It and is that's weird. That's what I wanted to talk about mostly. Well, well I... I think that's kind of a weird summation of that scene, a, a, a weird take on that scene, because I feel like it's really bold. And if I can use, you know, a little bit of hyperbole, deafeningly resonant of mm. the central themes of the film. Right. Yeah. You know, dim- discrimination. We're talking about violation of civil rights. Um, you know, we've got Brian Singer back. Welcome back to the show. Brian Singer. He also uh, directed Superman Returns, which we did a couple months ago for our world's finest month. Um, and, you know he's he's taking he's using his uh, directorial tools uh, yet again, telling stories with an inanimate objects, which is a which is kind of a, a trademark of him that I've said before. Um, the gate in that opening scene is central to understanding what is happening in the scene, and it's so important that we actually finish the scene with that em- image of the gate. You know, that's central. Right. Uh, on the screen, that's the last thing that we see uh, before we jump to Meridian, Mississippi in the not-too-distant future. So so what I wanted to say about it is that I, I think, you know, there are so many movies out there. You have to, I, Like, I want to break it down and want to be like, why, why do people find it tasteless? So it's not because we're showing a concentration camp, whether it is or is not supposed to be Auschwitz, where it's not because we're showing a concentration camp on, on the screen because, because we've done that in many movies, and as long as it's sure. taken seriously, and you know it's it's done well in a movie then we usually praise right. praise it as um as you know an attempt to show us the horrors of the world so that we can keep it from happening again um so the real reason why people find it tasteless is because surprise surprise it's a genre film yeah so that's exactly. why we're, because, we're because upset this is based about on, it this is based on the funny books right we're upset about it because these are comic book movies and we shouldn't talk about things like that in comic book movies and and you know that's it i guess people feel like you're taking it lightly when you put it into a genre film um and i don't think that's necessarily true i don't, I, 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 I think it's i think the opposite is true is you're not taking it lightly it's you're taking this story seriously right exactly um as long as as long as the movie uses it seriously and and it's it's uh connected with the themes and stuff of the film then it's absolutely appropriate to use it and in both cases this movie does that and also like if you if you really want to talk about like if you're upset about um you know uh, rewriting history or something like that by adding fantasy to it. I mean, let's talk about a massive majority of films set in the medieval period, right? I, like, I mean, we don't even have to like do that. Let's dragons talk, Let's and talk about sorcerers. fucking Inglorious Bastards, which right? was, I mean, wildly, like, widely regarded as, um, by a lot of people, as a masterpiece, <laughs> even by Quentin Tarantino himself, per the last line of that movie. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it is it is kind of strange how... 
um, the context of source material kind of skews our perception of what's appropriate. What's right. appropriate to touch on? What can we talk and about? And that's a major problem for me. You want to talk about serious issues that are, are sensitive and upset people and whatever. Fan, I think it's fantastic to do that in fantasy and science fiction. I think the problem with fantasy and science fiction and, and horror and, and most genre films and, and books as well is that we don't delve into those issues enough and that we do take it, you know, we do spend a little too much time playing around, which leads to, this is my rant, but too bad writing and stuff because you're not sure. getting serious people well, I, I mean, I think involved great, in it. The so. greatest kind of escapism is the kind of escapism where we don't escape too, too far because uh, at the end of the day, we're still examining ideas that can be held up uh, as a comparison against our right. own lives and our and right. the human condition in our own society. I think that if you stray too far from that, then you're you're not talking about anything at all. So I, I think that it's it's important to to know that sometimes you have to talk about difficult stuff if you want to say something. And I think that the, this movie doesn't shy away, shy away from that. And I think it should be commended for that. Yeah. I think it's that opening is still one of the greatest openings to mm-hmm. any superhero movie, any comic book Absolutely. movie to date. And, yeah. you know, this has been going on for, we're going on 20 years now. You know, this is, this was made in 2000 in 2000 or in 2016 now. So, I mean, it's, we're, we're, we're coming up on 20 years of the reign of superhero films, mm-hmm. the reign of comic book films. Um, but we're in Washington, D.C. now. And, and again, you know, we're going to be driving this point home. But I, I do love how this movie doesn't even pretend to be about anything else. Before we see cool mutant powers, we see how with Rogue growing up different in a world that, and even with Magneto in that opening scene, the first two scenes, we see how growing up different in a world that hates you can be damaging. Right. You know, um, Anna Paquin may not have her Southern accent down just yet, but her performance in that scene is harrowing. Mm-hmm. It's really harrowing, I think. When she's when she's up against the wall screaming and crying and stuff. Yeah, she and yeah. and you know she. I think she sells it. Yeah, well, absolutely. Um, but this is a movie about discrimination. You in, you insert a civil rights any civil rights issue here, and it stands. Um, I think originally when this when the comic books were made, the the ideas that they were paralleling were those of the real world civil rights movement. Right. Yeah. Know, uh, uh, with Black Americans, mm-hmm. you know, Blacks in America. Um, I think Brian Singer, as a gay man uh, living in America, has taken those concepts and adapted adapted it just a little bit more to his experience as uh, a gay man living in the United States. And I'm actually going to talk about like uh, transgender issues later. When we talk about mystique, mm-hmm. um, they, you know, they even say in that, that scene, um, uh, Jean Grey says in that scene uh, on the Senate floor that the, the mutants powers, uh, they become apparent and they manifest themselves at puberty, which is something that we can, you know, parallel with, we can relate to sexuality, sexuality you mm-hmm. know, you know, your sexuality doesn't become really apparent and clear and defined until you know, you're going through that period in life. Right. Until you become sexually attracted to other people. Yes, yes, exactly. Or don't, or whatever. You know, Senator Kelly, um, played by Bruce Davison, uh, his proposal of a mutant registration actually echoes the efforts of U.S. Congress's efforts uh, efforts to ban communism in the United States, if you want to go back that far. Um, He has a list of known mutants and exclaims, Oh, that sounds like something. Oh, shit. We must know who these mutants are and what they can do, which is a a pair of 
paraphrase of Senator Joseph McCarthy, who claimed to have a list of known American communists working in the government. Right. Uh, and then Senator Kelly further questions whether mutants should be allowed to teach children in school, which mirrors the Section 28 issue, which is the banning of homosexual teachers in United Kingdom schools. And, you know, Sir Ian McKellen, who stars in this, he actually protested against that Section 28 issue specifically at that time. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, we're now being introduced to the Wolverine. Did you have thoughts on this scene right here? Um, I, I just wanted to, to go back a little bit with, well, basically I just wanted to talk about, um, uh, rogue because we always, whenever we do a comic book movie, we always have to, uh, set it up by kind of apologizing and putting ourselves out there and just being like, we aren't, we aren't the biggest comic book right. nerds. We love, like the thing is, is that I love comic books. You love comic books, but yeah, no, I love the mythos. I love, I love superheroes, but I'm not that guy that's like, I know the intimate details of yeah, I think between between the character. two of us, we have like one of those long boxes. I mean, maybe if, if I'm perfectly honest about it, I I think trying to catch up with all that stuff over the years is really exhausting. It is, yeah, um, it's because too much. you just kind of like trying to become a Doctor Who fan. I mean, if you try to figure out what all is canon and what isn't canon, most of the stuff that even is canon anymore, if you can figure it out, is just a series of terrible writing decisions made through the years based on market research and, you know, fan outcries and shit like that, you know. So it 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 has I think there's a reason that it, it hasn't uh, been the respected art form held up as the respected art form that maybe it deserves to be because it does have outstanding works within it, but um, but overall it it is a you know it's a commercial thing. Well, it's kind of like genre fiction, right? Yeah, sure, <laughs> same kind of thing. Of course, you've of course. got fantastic works in there. It's a, to in my opinion some of the best literature ever written, but there's such an overwhelming majority of just trash that people just write, you know, and churn out for, sure. for money. Anyways, um, so what I did is I tried to go back and just do a little bit of research on, on each of the main characters. Um, and so Rogue, uh, did you know she was introduced as an Avengers villain? That's where she got her start? I didn't know that. Yeah, she was introduced as an, an Avengers villain in 81, but then, of course, became an X-Man. Ooh, those CGI the Wolverine claws don't really hold up actually none of the cgi in this movie really holds it's up. not that bad though. it's not terrible but it's it's not that bad um so rogue's power if you don't know i assume you do is that she can absorb and sometimes remove memories strength and superpowers by touch mm-hmm. um in the original story i guess she was adopted by mystique and grew up as a villain holy shit yeah until she absorbed some of miss marvel's powers and reformed okay and yeah, she she did. I maybe I'm wrong about this, but I, I think she permanently absorbed some of her powers. She did permanently absorb some of her powers because I mean, even from uh, in the comic books that I have read that that have Rogue, and she was never a prominent character in the comic books. Not really. Um, it wasn't until the cartoon incorporated her, the animated series in the '90s, uh, incorporated her into the show that she became a prominent character with fans, and that's how I got exposed to her. So as far as I knew, Rogue was just always one of the main X-Men. Right? Yeah, I mean, I that's how I always right exactly viewed her too. But she, you know, of course, I knew about the absorb powers from the show but she also had flight and super strength and you know mm-hmm. uh, it, not invulnerability but you know very very strong very almost impenetrable to whatever um, and she got those as I understood and I'm probably wrong from a character called Miss Marvel um, 
and how she got them was by absorbing them until Miss Marvel died. And I don't know if this is true. And comic book nerds out there, I expect you to correct me. So go ahead and start typing. I know your fingers are itching. <laughs> Wipe off those Cheetos first. <laughs> but I think if Rogue absorbs a mutant's powers until they die, she keeps those powers forever. I don't know. It, I th- it sounds I th- it sounds like makes sense to me. I think. I'm not sure. Um, I, I think I've heard that too. But anyways, though, what I wanted to hit on there really was her relationship with Mystique, which totally isn't explored in this movie at, not all. at all. And like she was adopted, as I understand, like legitimately not, I'm not being metaphorical. She was ab- adopted by Mystique and that's who raised her. I mean, there's there's not even enough time in this movie to give the characters that are in it their fair shake. Yeah. I mean, oh no, I know. There are only a few of the pretty large cast but I that just, even get characterized. I right. guess. I guess all I'm saying is that it would have been cool if in one of does she ever cross paths with Mystique in this movie? Mm. Do Rogan are they ever in the same space? Well, when when Mystique is disguised as Bobby, yeah, definitely. She okay. has a okay, yeah, yeah, that's right. And so, I mean, obviously, this is a different universe than where that didn't happen because we would certainly have to have some kind of reaction, interaction, or something. But I just thought that would have been cool. Um, when she ran away, she ran away and wound up with Mystique. That's what mm. originally happened. But, yeah. anyways, um, uh, where else? What, uh, what have we, we just missed? okay? So we just came away from the scene where where. Um, uh, Wolverine revealed himself to be a mutant with the claws and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Rogue insists that she saved his life, but she didn't really because we learned that he has um, he has healing abilities and he's very strong, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, he's, and we will learn later that he has an adamantium skeleton, a metal metal grafted upon his skele- uh, skeleton. Um, before that scene, before she walks into the bar, uh, the trucker that she rides with, George Buza, actually played the voice of Beast in the uh, the X Men animated series from '92. Um, the city that she was in, Laughlin City, is a fictional city in Alberta, Canada, and she is a long way from Mississippi if she's gone all the way to Alberta, Canada. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean Wolverine as a character, I think I, I love th- that line. I think casting Wolverine with an unknown like Hugh Jackman was the best thing that they could possibly do. And this line right here, holy shit. Yes, this line too. She asks about his claw. She says, when they come out, do they hurt? And he says, every Every time. time. That line has always stuck with me. Now. Always has stuck with me. So good. It's fucking brilliant. I don't, I mean, I don't know if that's comic canon or if it was first introduced in the movie, but you know, I want to give credit wherever it's due. Whoever came up with that, it's fucking brilliant. Because it makes him such a tortured character. Right. It's, it's so the, fantastic. Well, when, when seeing this movie in 2000, that was the first time I had ever even considered it. Right. I considered the possibility that the claws coming out hurts. Right. And it speaks volumes about him as a His character. His character, right, yeah. It's it's pretty amazing. Um, the lines right before it I've always loved too, where, where he reaches to touch her and she pulls away and she says, it's just that when people touch my skin, something happens. And he says, what? And she says, I don't know, they just get hurt. And he goes, fair enough. And I just like that too, as in, a, you know, there's definitely like sexual issues and stuff in here, women's rights issues, um... And and you sort of touch on that there a bit too. The line when when she finally opens her mouth and she says, "I'm rogue," 
it's like this kid can't wait to tell someone her cool new alias. She's come up with a road name. Uh, and of course, Wolverine says, what kind of name is Rogue? And she says, well, what kind of name is Wolverine? Because it's printed on his dog tags, which are actually like Canadian style uh, military dog tags. Oh, that's, are they? that's what they look like. Um and I just feel like at this point in the movie, they are doing backflips to try to make this corny comic book stuff seem, seem okay to have in mm-hmm. like a real for serious grown up movie. But I mean, if they had any idea where we would end up today, yeah. if they had any yeah. idea. And it's not like we don't take our comic book movies seriously, as seriously today as they try oh, to do. Oh, we with do. This. Um, but they found a way to say, you know what? These. That's what these characters are. These characters are their costumes. They don't have to look like fucking leather daddies. <laughs> to, well, I, well, to be taken I mean, seriously. let's. Okay, so you only have three options when we're talking about the name issue. So we're talking about the name issue. You only have three options. Your three options are you leave the names in and you don't comment on them, and everybody just has to suspend their disbelief and expect that people call each other Wolverine and Rogue right. and Cyclops, right? Like, okay, I, okay, I guess, whatever. I we're guess just we're doing gonna it. be. We're just gonna be. We're just gonna call him Superman. He's gonna wear the red underwear, right? Like we're just. We're or gonna you could go be fucking. It coy about it and be like it looks like an s maybe for some interruption happens and you don't get to say superman and and we've tried that in movies before too so so there's that option there's the option of taking them out entirely and using only normie names you know so everybody's like hey logan hey hey anna marie hey right so like you can do that um and then there's the option of of uh uh, kind of, and and kind of what we do today, which is we leave both of them in and we don't apologize for them, right? But we don't also like <sighs> we find a, a way sorry, to that, make it serious. The the attack on on Wolverine and Rogue, it's it's such a a weird uh, ending to that scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it just kind of like it explodes, I and think like that scene itself is kind of weird. Though. It does. It kind of comes out of nowhere. It's. I mean, even the way it starts, where she tells him to wear a seatbelt, and then he he's he's like, he's like, oh, I don't need you to what, and he gets thrown out of the car, yeah. and it's just kind of it, it it's al- kind of weird. It always feels like the scene comes out of nowhere and resolves itself really clumsily with this weird fade out. Um, yeah. I don't know. Anyways, so back to the name thing. I just, I think there just aren't that many options. And I think the worst option is taking out the comic book flair altogether, taking out the names oh, yeah, absolutely. altogether. Absolutely. Um, well, you end up with the, the you know, the, the famous John Peters, Kevin Smith, Superman lives story. Right. Where he's like, I don't want to see him fly. I don't see, I want to see him in the costume. And he's got to fight a giant spider. Right. Yeah. And so that's Which is definitely. An amazing, it's an amazing story if you've never heard Kevin Smith tell that. I, and I think we've talked about it before on the we Superman pro- episode. Probably have. Um I think I think that is absolutely the worst option. Um I feel like this movie didn't quite hit it right though. Because what they do is they apologize for it and they have characters say things like, Haha, that's a funny name. Haha, why would you call yourself that? And like they acknowledge that the names are dumb so that we can sit there and go, It's okay, it's okay, it's okay. They they know the names are well, dumb, here, so it's okay. Here's the amazing thing to me. The amazing thing is that the level of storytelling and character development that we've had with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I don't and you and I don't do this. When we I mean when we came out of Captain America Civil War 
we were discussing the movie and we weren't calling characters by their superhero names. We right. weren't saying Captain right. America. We weren't saying Iron Man. We were saying Tony Stark and Steve Rogers and right. Wanda. And, you know, we were using their names. Because that's what they call each other. Right. And they're huge. They're people. Like, right. that's that's how we see them. We don't just see them as uh, these these. uh paragons I guess. And it's kind of the population which has the people as a whole which have given them these superhero names and I totally buy that mythos. Like I buy the idea that that these people obviously they don't they don't call each other Iron Man or whatever. They no. call each other by their names but the people outside know them as something else. Um, and so and so I think I think that works the best and this movie didn't quite get it yet. Right. But but it's I mean it's not that big of a deal I'm nagging on it but we did see a little fine. bit of Magneto's lair um, yeah it's a little evil Larry right we s- yeah I thought you said evil Larry like there's a Larry. guy named Larry well, yeah I did say that evil. but that's not yeah no, no no it totally is he totally has a lair which is kind of like I understand why. Uh, Xavier has a lair because it's his mansion. Like there's a purpose to it. Yeah. But why does Magneto have like a a villain's lair? <laughs> and it's like on a mountain with the cliffs and the whatever. He's right? got a dungeon. He's got yeah. like a cliffside dungeon. <laughs> totally. Uh, but yeah, in that scene, we saw some new mutants. We saw uh, Toad played by Ray Park. Mm-hmm. Welcome back to the show, Ray Park. He was also on. Uh, he was in. Star Wars Episode 1, The Phantom Menace, that we covered back for hashtag shitty Star Wars month. Um, <laughs> but in that scene, uh, I just want to jump back to it. In the scene where uh, where uh, Sabretooth comes back, um, played by Tyler Maine, and I want to ask, do you think they just cast Tyler Maine because his last name was Maine and he was playing like a... I mean, that sounds like the most logical fucking conclusion. lion man. <laughs> But uh, we're see, we see this in this one little camera move, again, telling stories with inanimate objects. We're seeing this parallel drawn in camera uh, between Wolverine's dog tag that Magneto is holding and his Holocaust tattoo. Mm-hmm. Because they're both yep. characters who were taken against their will for and being And given different. a number. Right, exactly. Turned into not people. Exactly. Um, I did want to point out on Magneto's desk, he has a cool like variation on the Newton's cradle uh, mm-hmm. with no strings, obviously, because he can control metal shit. Why wouldn't he have something cool like that? Do you know that the Newton's cradle is also called Newton's balls? <laughs> and also the executive ball clicker. These are official names. Did you know that the original Newton's cradle device was sculpted by Richard Longcrane, who was a film director who directed Ian McKellen, who plays Magneto in Richard the Third in nineteen ninety five. You just one upped me on my on my research it's, about it's just Newton's on, balls. It was just on IMDB. This could be wrong. I'm just reading it straight off the website. <laughs> um so Sabretooth. Uh originally he was a non powered serial killer when he was introduced in 77. Oh, God. Right? Um, That's a little too real. Then he was rewritten, or written, or whatever, as a mutant with bestial abilities, rapid healing, superhuman senses, fangs, claws, and has had a long-time feud with Wolverine. Yes. That he was a he was a fan favorite to be in this in this movie. I'm... I mean, he's been... I think He was part of the Cold War super soldier program that Wolverine was a part of. I've never liked Sabretooth as a character. Like, I know he's the arch nemesis. He's the rival of Wolverine or whatever, but... Well, it's supposed to be, as I understand it, and this I didn't know till I till I was doing research, but apparently it's because when they were in the same program together, they were kind of at, like, 
like Sabretooth felt like there was some sort of competition. They have similar powers and right, and a Saber- similar motif. And Sabretooth is like totem. Accepts, is that right? He, upset, he accepts his you know beast side, and Wolverine kind of suppresses it. Suppresses his animalistic nature. Right. So mm. right. So that's the that's the reason they've got the. Yeah, Cyclops um, is an excuse to have a character wear sunglasses all oh, the time. Oh, you think so? Do you think that's his excuse that that why he? Okay, all right then. No, I did. All right, we'll now, talk more about him later. Okay, for a movie that introduces the aliases, the nicknames, the superhero names by trying to do backflips and being like, okay, well, it's a girl running away from home and she's got to come up with a name, and it's a guy who is, you know, got the he's got some kind of nickname either because he's got two excuses. Wolverine could be either named that because of of his involvement in the Weapon X project, or which it was, or he could just pick a stage name for for cage fighting. He's they've got reasons, I feel. But then he shows up at the X Mansion here, and a, and Professor X starts introducing everybody by the right, <laughs> right. Like, this is Scott Summers, also known as Cyclops, and this is Aurora Monroe. She's called Storm. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's like, and they're like, okay, oh, you're missing okay. it, guys. You're missing it. Why does everyone have a... Okay, they're dumb. The nicknames are dumb. I'm sorry. Like, I know that they're... We've we've managed to make superhero movies today where the names don't seem as dumb somehow, but I think that's for a couple of different reasons. In most superhero movies, there's always a reason for the aliases, usually because it's given to them by either the media or the public. Right. That's right? what I was talking about with like the Cap movies and the Iron Man movies and stuff. Exactly. So if they start working, or or like um, if it's given to them by themselves, it's like a Spider-Man situation where he's trying to hide his identity. Mm-hmm. And even in that case, I don't. I don't think in the movies at least spider-man gives himself his name i don't think he cre- he even he, if he did i could kind of see that character being a, a smart kid. ass and well, he's that, a kid and that's part and, of it yeah. he's a kid and he's just like i'm gonna come up with a cool name and also he like kind of gets the idea for it well he goes to a wrestling match and at the wrestling match he has to come up with a wrestling name and that's part of it like there's well and like wolverine again he's a cage fighter I buy that he has a name. Exactly, like I said. He's a cage fighter. Yeah, exactly. So I don't, I don't really... I'm sorry, one second here. Can we just pause to say, hi, I'm Cyclops and welcome to motorcycle class? (laughs) (laughs) Storm was probably teaching them about meteorology or something and and Cyclops is teaching motorcycle (laughs) class. Uh, I'm Cyclops and the one thing that I know about is motorcycles um, and sunglasses. Yes. Anyway. Sorry, go ahead. So, yeah, no, that's it. It's just that, like, this movie understands that superhero names are dumb, but it gives up on trying to give excuses for them, like, literally the scene after it's, like, making excuses for it. It's so, it's so weird. Like I said, they just didn't know what to do with it yet, because they have a movie so serious that they have concentration camps in the movie, and they're quoting Malcolm X and all sorts of stuff. Like, Like, it is a serious movie, talking about serious things. But then they gotta figure out how to put things like spandex and well, I mean, and the it's, name and it's storm not, and it's not it. just that. Like, if you're gonna be dumb, at least be dumb in like an isolated, consistent way. Where, okay, at Xavier School, everybody gets a nickname when you graduate. I guess that does it come with a diploma. Okay, if you stick around, you become an X Man and you get a dumb name. But why does 
Why does Magneto and Sabretooth and Toad and Mystique, why do they have, <laughs> why do they have dumb nicknames? I need reasons. This is important because stuff. Because this movie takes itself so seriously. That's why you're asking for reasons. Um, but, but whatever, right? I mean, like I said, the point is they just hadn't figured anyway. it out yet. They just hadn't figured out how to make sure. it work yet. In, in the previous scene, just before the scene, uh, uh, before we get to this scene, um, uh, Professor X says, when I was 17, I met a young man named Eric Lenscher. And the way he delivers that line sounds like he's about to go on and say, and we had a whirlwind romance that ended in my becoming paralyzed. <laughs> the sex was great. Okay. Anyway. Um, Storm. What about her? Originated in 75 as the daughter of tribal a tribal princess. She was, wait. Yeah, the daughter of a tribal princess from Kenya, but mm-hmm. was raised in Harlem, in Cairo. Um, Poor Halle Berry. I mean, of the six lines that she has in this movie, she's kind of trying to do a Kenyan accent that doesn't, it's not happening. And then at some point she kind of gives up on it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, f- and it's not that Halle Berry is not a great actress. She has an Oscar to prove that she has chops. She is dog shit in this movie. Oh yeah. It's she awful. is so She bad. just doesn't. And, and we'll complain later about parts of the script and why, but later we'll talk about it. Um, what I wanted to say about Storm though, was she's been an Avenger. She's been the fantastic four apparently, but most interesting thing that I found is she married and then divorced Black Panther. Oh, maybe I did know that. Man, we need to get the fucking X-Men in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I know. Oh, my God. We got, we I, got I started. I started doing research on it. So, because Fox, 20th Century Fox has X-Men. Yes. Right? And Marvel Studios has Avengers. So, like, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, who were, who were supposed to be... Uh, mutants. Um, uh, I believe yes. they're supposed to be Magneto's children. That's correct. Um, Actually, Quick Quicksilver is in the 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 new X Men movies, right? But he's also in the in Age of Ultron, right? And so when they did that, um, so he's a mutant. There are mutants and Avengers, and the problem with that is, like in Age of Ultron, they couldn't call him a mutant or mention X Men, right? And in Days of Future Past, they couldn't mention Avengers, right? And I just wish everybody would get along and just share their money with each other because I would give them my money oh, yeah. to make them all be happy oh, and yeah. together. I want to see the Avengers and the X Men in. The same um, movie, I mean that, that's please. the long play. I mean we're coming up on ten years of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and if they need a re, if they need a way to extend this, I promise you at some point when the superhero movie looks like it's fading, when the popularity is going down and it's starting to go the way of the western, so to speak, um, I I would not be surprised if we saw Fox and Marvel come together and give us the X Men in the Avengers movie that we've been wanting. Oh my god. We got Spider-Man because, I mean, all it took was for Sony to fuck up Spider-Man in two movies for them to be like, okay, all right, I guess you can can fucking have have him. him. Yep. And we're like, thanks, we'll do a better job. (laughs) That's all it took. That's all it took was Sony rebooting Spider-Man into a shitty new franchise and they gave him up. So 
Um, Where are we now? Oh, uh, we're, we're kind of getting behind, but the senator has been captured by Mystique, uh, and as he was getting onto the helicopter, did, we could see signs of protesters, one of which said, protect our children, which right. which you, what did you say? You said it was a mantra. I mean, it's, it's the mantra of all bigots. Oh, that's right. The mantra of bigots everywhere for all time is protect, protect our, our children. children. Yeah, as, as the moment that you want to hate someone else, then all you have to do is just... Discriminate in the name of blame children. It, blame it on your, your kid's safety. Yeah. Um, the mystique makeup in this movie, I think, looks way fucking better than the bodysuit that they've been using with uh, Jennifer Lawrence's mystique. I think it looks way better. I mean, this suit was a combination of body paint and like 60 some odd different prosthetics that they had to stick to her body. And she couldn't there were certain things she couldn't do uh, like for a week before having the makeup applied. Like she couldn't drink wine. She couldn't fly. She couldn't do certain things because it would change her body chemistry too much. And the specific adhesive that they had wouldn't stick to her. So she had to like change her entire lifestyle just to play this role. Rebecca remains. I've always thought I've always thought that it looked looked incredible and that it's it holds up i think oh yeah still, the makeup, it still oh, looks the fantastic makeup is, it's incredible yeah absolutely um and i think she moves very very well in it um i think it's just all around but really when they great. when they capture senator kelly she's actually impersonating uh henry guyrich which uh who's later found dead in the movie uh henry guyrich was a member of several united states national security agencies in the comic books and he was also uh responsible for quite a bit of misery in the x-men's lives i don't know him as a character from the comic books but that's who who are we talking henry about? guyrich the guy that she was impersonating on the helicopter no when she mm. kicked Senator Kelly's ass. So let's talk about Mystique since we're talking about Mystique. Okay. Go ahead. Now you were going to say Oh, I, w- I was just going to jump to, they were, t- we finally discovered after giving Wolverine his x-ray that he has an adamantium skeleton. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to mention that. Um, they show like his claws. Like I've, uh, I, Wait, I've, I don't think we've. Yeah, they've done that. Oh, huh. they have. Okay. Um, I just wanted to say. Just a little nerd rant. I always felt like giving Wolverine bone claws was a cop-out. I think his claws should come from the adamantium grafting process, that procedure that he had. Um, Because his mutation is healing. It's not healing and, oh yeah, bone claws. That's fucking stupid. And I don't know at what point that came around. Maybe it was the origin comics. Maybe there was some... I think it was the the origin comics that first did the bone claws. I, I'm probably wrong. Go ahead and start typing, nerds. Um, why doesn't this machine, this mutant-making machine, make the mutants double mutants? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Are you done with your bone claw rant? No, yes, yeah, I'm done. I just want to say that bone claw Wolverine is fucking stupid. It's stupid shit, and it shouldn't be in there. His his mutation is super healing. Why does he need more than that? It's, it's, it's stupid. It's, I hate it. Do you know that Wolverine's was born with the name James Howlett? That's in the origin comics. I think Howlett. Right, isn't it cute? And the origin <laughs> comics are kind of fun. Like you know, I know I, I know a lot of comic book nerds that that think that they're great, and I've read them, and they're they're okay. Um, I think that's like I said. I think that's where the bone claws came from. I think his name is James Howlett. Is corny and why i've always thought his origin story was was so cool like his name is was logan like that's his name his name is logan why can't his name be logan his nickname is wolverine that's what he has why does he have to be like logan but also wolverine but he was born this other guy 
I love I love the idea of of you know the way like he got his powers though like because he can heal having to go through that that uh the experiments and stuff and that's how he got it it's yeah. so tortured and fantastic i also love the fact that he's one of those vietnam war produced anti-heroes that we got you yeah know? yeah definitely from um, that era mm-hmm. absolutely i've always thought that was cool um also please look at his ripped level in this movie versus his ripped level in days of future past he is holy shit dude, he is he has gotten so fucking big. It is out of control. He needs to calm down. He's, I, I swear to God, it's well, just even, him being like, his, look, guys, I'm not too old. Look at this. Look at this. Right. I'm not too old, guys. Well, his, look. his level of swole in this movie is even inconsistent because uh, apparently he was cast three weeks into filmmaking. Three oh, weeks wow. into shooting, that's when they cast Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, um, and he continued to work out through the 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 you know mm-hmm. the principal photography principal photography, um, which uh, which yeah caused kind of an inconsistent level of swolliness of ripped <laughs> of ripness. Um, but yeah, I think uh, this scene right here where is probably my favorite scene. It's a really great scene and. I think it's the I think it's Brian Singer's Cronenberg scene in this movie. You'll note the uh, the blue light, which I think is very distinctly Cronenberg, and obvious the obvious body horror. There's obvious body horror in this where claws penetrate through this poor girl's body, and then she uses power to suck the life out of another man, where veins are popping up on his face and heal her own wounds with his powers. Um, and it's also a good example of. It's kind of the first example in the entire series uh, of these movies. Um, Something that the series has continued to get right, more or less, and that is combination of powers. Mm -hmm. Putting these characters in situations where they can use their powers together or they interact with one another in special ways. I love the way he says, help me in this scene. Yeah. Oh, it's so fantastic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's something that this this series has continued to do right, is to um, it, it's it's kind of metaphorical, I think, but they use characters' powers and how those powers interact as a metaphor for how those characters interact on an interpersonal level. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Um, and this right here, where she takes Wolverine into her in such a way, she even mentions it later. She says, "You know, when I." took your powers you're still in my head i can still feel you um and we'll talk about the the i believe underlying sexual nature to their relationship just subtle and just a touch and and i think totally appropriate we'll talk about that a little bit later on the train scene um but let's go back to the fact that i don't like that line that happened before with cyclops and him where cyclops was like uh, where Wolverine was like, you're going to tell me to stay away from your girl. And Cyclops says, if I had to do that, she wouldn't be my girl. And I'm like, yeah, All right. nice line. Okay, good job. Cool. That's yeah. a good comeback. Right. I like it. And, and then, then Cyclops <laughs> still tells him to stay away at the end of the fucking scene. And he punctuates. He's like, and Logan, stay away from my girl. He gives a little fucking cocksucking grin. <laughs> I'm just like, no, you ruined he the did. good dialogue. He, did. he says that. And I'm like, ah, the one before was better. <laughs> was Sorry. Before. Sorry. Let's talk about how stupid Toad is. I just wanted to mention this because it was from before. Why is Toad eating birds off of live, like live birds off of branches and with his tongue and shit? 
Originally, Toad was a sniveling, weak, hunchbacked servant of Magneto in the 60s. Right. Until they, um, until they cast a martial artist as right. him in this movie. And this, this version, this uh, Toad that has, you know, like super agility, toxic saliva, wall scaling, prehensile tongue usage. That means he can grab things with ah, it. Ah. Ah. Yes. <laughs> um Good. Yeah, it's a completely different toad, apparently, than what there ever was. And I I wonder if it pissed off geeks or if it made them happy. I don't know. But like the, the, the eating the bird, I don't know why it bothers me particularly. I know that in the comic books, he's called toad because he kind of, well, he's called toad because of the co- coincidental way in which his mutation makes him look like a toad or make it makes him toad like. But it doesn't just make him an animal. It doesn't make him an actual t- were toad or something, right? Um, the sender, the way the sender like pushes his face through the bars right there. I know the CG has aged. Um, sure. But I will never see that actor's face as anything besides Aww. like turning into water. <laughs> Poor Bruce Davison. Like, He's been in a lot of good like stuff. Like being bloated and squishing through things and turning into water. Oh, poor guy. That's the only thing I think when I see him. This is really upsetting, though. There, there is, you know, I mentioned body horror before. I feel like there, there is really a, an element of body horror in this movie, especially with Bruce, da- Bruce Davison's Senator Kelly's death, uh, his death and his mutation. Yeah. yeah, it's terrible. It's so, it's so bothersome to watch. It is. It's really gross. And even when he comes out of the water and he kind of looks like blubbery and jellyfishy and stuff when he's at the beach. And after they're poking at the jellyfish to draw that comparison, there's good story visual storytelling in this. We didn't talk about it, but like right at the beginning of the movie, um, when they were at the White House doing the conference, see, see, he looks kind of pasty mm-hmm. and translucent. There was, see, we poke at a jellyfish, and then we're gonna see him. And they were actually, actually, the CG on him was apparently really hard to do because it was layers upon layers upon layers of different effects that they were putting on him, and they even toyed with the idea of making his internal organs visible, but they thought that would be a little too much. Oh, it wouldn't have been too much for me. I don't know which person it is. I know Stan Lee is in this scene. There he is, standing next to the, the hot dog cart. Um, I think that person in front of him is Gary Goddard. I think one of these people in the scene is Gary Goddard, who was the director of uh, the 1987 canon film Masters of the Universe. Apparently, uh, Brian Singer and uh, Gary Goddard are good friends. And uh, Singer sought his advice on how to make a quote unquote comic book movie before making this. Thank God this didn't turn out like Masters of the Universe, because that movie's a train wreck. Um, this scene right here, I don't buy. That's, I don't either. That's basically what I'm going to say about this scene, is that I don't believe that she would be convinced to run away this easily by a boy that she barely knows. So. Right. You can see Bobby's breath in this scene, uh, which is actually um, a, a, an effect of Bobby's abilities being Iceman in the comic books is that you can see his breath. Um, but because this is mystique, uh, people think that that's just a mistake in this movie, that this is, was just shot and it was cold outside and you could see his breath, but they didn't intend for you to see his breath. So it kind of coincidentally ended up being the right thing if it was actually Iceman, but this is Mystique. Oh, I get what you're saying. It's a Mystique mistake. Um, Senator Robert K. 
Kelly, uh, the one thing I wanted to mention about him, I mean, it's very obvious and everyone's going to be like, duh, but I didn't remember it until, because it's been a while since I've seen it, but I didn't remember it until I was doing research that in Days of Future Past, it was all about stopping Mystique and the Brotherhood from assassinating him. Oh, okay. It's Senator Kelly who they're trying to assassinate in that movie, who... Well... What? I, I'm sorry. The scene. The scene that we just saw right here where, where Professor X is... He's looking at the x-ray of Wolverine. And the thing that you can note about Wolverine's x-ray is that it's uh, metal. You know, you can see the metal. The adamantium grafted onto his skeleton. And Professor X is just, like, scratching his head, like, what could Magneto want with Wolverine? What could he possibly want with him? And all I'm thinking is, what could a man who controls metal want with a man with a metal skeleton? Like, you know that that's related. He wants to control him or something. He wants to make him a soldier. He has soldiers. He can make him a soldier because he can control, right? Like, Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. But I think it does. I think the fact that we don't have an answer makes it... Uh, well, I don't know. I guess if they'd have had an answer, it would have been just as fine. I like the turnaround. I like the turnaround that it's not Wolverine. I always forget that it's not Wolverine, that it's Rogue that he's after. Yeah. Um, and I love that turnaround. So, so whatever. No, I get what you're saying, though. Um, I have a hard time believing, going back to what you said about uh, Bobby and Rogue, the scene where he tells her that um, that Professor X is pissed because she used her powers against Wolverine when mm-hmm. he stabbed her, and she's like, I was going to fucking die, bro. What, what do you want from me? Um, I have a hard time believing that, that from Rogue's perspective, that Bobby could actually convince her to up and leave like that. Yeah. I just don't feel like they're there. No, I no, I know. That's what I was saying, is that she just barely... Oh, I didn't know if you finished your thought. Yeah, I mean, she, she barely met this boy, so... Um, oh, look at all the cameos. There's Gambit, there's The Blob, there's Daredevil, there's Cable, there's... Oh, yeah. Are you... What? No, are I'm you? just... I'm kidding. I, these are all the mutants in the world, so this is where all of the... Where all of the cameos should come in. Isn't uh, doesn't Rogue have a relationship with Gambit? Is that that's correct? correct. Yeah, that's correct. And when I was in, um, when I was a young man uh, watching that cartoon, the Gambit Rogue relationship was the sexiest thing I'd ever seen up to that point uh-huh. in my life. Uh-huh. And then sometime around there, I watched Return of the Living Dead, and Linnea Quigley changed all of that very, very quickly. <sighs> Well, everyone in the world knows that my first relationship <laughs> that I shipped was Lois and Clark. So. <laughs> well, that's good. That's that's a uh, that's appropriately nerdy, I think. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, this movie does go from trying super hard to feel grounded to being a little cheesy, pretty fucking fast, like this right here with the motorcycle. Why does why does Cyclops's motorcycle have a super speed button? Oh, why not? Let him have a super speed oh, button. For but this, fuck's but this, sake. but this scene is a little bit silly. Um, oh let's talk God. about Cyclops. Cyclops was a founding member of X Men. He first appeared in X Men number one in '63. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I believe he was the first. Uh, X-Men that Xavier recruited. Okay. Um, and he definitely was not that anti-authority kind of hero that Logan was, um, that Wolverine was, like the, you know, post-Vietnam. No, he's kind of the... He's, he is the archetypal, traditional hero. He's a good boy. Yeah. He's a, he's a yeah. 
Um, in 2006, IGN rated him the number one X-Men in the last 40 years. Apparently, Stanley said that Cyclops and Beast were his two favorite X-Men. Really? I always got the feeling that, and it's not just from these movies, even when I was a kid, I always felt like Cyclops was the most hated of like the main A-string X-Men. Mm. Like he was, he's kind of like the Leonardo. Believe- he doesn't have a sense of humor. He's, he's, uh, he's a goody two-shoes. Like well, that this is, thing. this is me not really knowing my, my comic book stuff, but from what I was reading, I believe when Whedon took over Astonishing X-Men, am I, am I yes. wrong? No, he, or yeah. he wrote for it. He, I don't know well, if he, he took over or whatever. He didn't take it over. He wrote but Astonishing he wrote, X-Men. He, yeah. Right. He I believe it. when he did that, he changed the character a lot and okay. sort of turned him around. Okay. Um, and, did did and, he kill him then? No. Okay. Um, but because that's how Joss Whedon usually changes characters is he just fucking kills kills them, them right? Um, he was the George R. R. Martin before. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> before we had George. Well, I mean, we had George R. R. Martin. He's been writing these books for fucking eight hundred years. But <laughs> anyways, Not really, like more like twenty. It is more than twenty. Okay. Well. Um. Anyways, though, so yeah, I believe he turned the character around and kind of kind of made him a better character, as I understand. But I haven't read him, so I'm just talking out of what I've read. Uh, do you know that originally his name was Slim Summers? Oh God! <laughs> but by number three, they changed it to Scott. Thank God! <laughs> I mean, they're that, like, no, no, fuck, fuck, retcon. <laughs> at least, at least they had you know the 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 wisdom to do that because that's that's a very like. Um, Post World War II, Cold War. Well, this was in '63, right? Greatest Generation mm-hmm. leftover thing, where it's like his name is going to be Slim, and he's just a good old boy. You know, like <laughs> he, if it were if, if if this were a hundred years ago, he'd be wearing a cowboy hat. Oh you know, that kind God. of shit. Uh, I could totally see where that name comes from, but that is so he's supposed to be like a that's a, a tragic name, a tortured hero. Do you know his backstory? No, I don't. His parents pushed him and his brother out of a plane that was crashing and like gave them the one parachute. Oh shit, maybe I gave them the one parachute and pushed them out of the plane. I don't know who his brother wait, 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 is. Wait. I'm sure it's somebody. Don't they do that in one of the X-Men movies? Don't maybe, they? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe. Is that is that how they start X3? Is they show his show that scene? Oh, fuck. Maybe. That sounds so familiar to um, me. But, and then the reason why his optic nerve blasts are uncontrollable is because either, depending on what you look at, either it's from hitting his head in that crash or some kind of mental block that he self-inflicted to suppress his traumatic childhood. Okay. You don't care. Uh, This scene right here um, where the young boy is smiling at Cyclops, as we can see. Um, This was unplanned. I thought that was cute. The boy was actually a really big X-Men fan, and Cyclops was his favorite character. That moment was really cute According to IMDb.com, which is mm, specious at best. Uh, The scene originally actually called for Cyclops to look at the train schedule uh, only, but according to Brian Singer, the boy could not stop smiling at James Marsden. Finally, during one shot, Marsden just looked back at him and smiled, much to the boy's delight. Brian Singer liked the idea so much, he kept it in the film and told the actress playing the boy's mother to react the way she did uh, as a bigot so yeah that's how that came about storm was always my favorite x-men when i was a kid storm is a is a respectable and good choice for favorite x-men i always thought she was so cool i wanted her powers so bad i was one of those stupid edgy little kids that was like i like cable cable's the best cable he's the the x-man who comes from the future but he's the son of cyclops and gene gray 
Okay. And his, I think his best friend was Bishop, and I also liked Bishop. <laughs> That's, Bishop's cool. Yeah, Bishop's cool. Has Bishop been in any of these movies? Yes, yes. He's uh, in, uh, is it Days of Future Past, or is it... Um, oh, I think he is in Days of Future Past. Oh, or it... Wait, is he? I believe so. Isn't he a big black guy? Yes. Yes. Correct. He's in that movie then. It's okay. in the one where they go back to the... That's, yes. that's Yeah, that's Days of Future Past. Oh, that is Bishop. I guess he is in that. Yeah. Shit, that shit's on HBO Go. I'm going to have to watch that again. <laughs> Um, yeah, but uh, anyway, this this scene right here, uh, where the the train gets ripped open, the uh, reaction that that Hugh Jackman is giving is genuine because uh, he didn't know the train was going to be ripped open. He thought that Magneto was just going to pull the door off, like it was the door was just going to pop off, and Ian McKellen was going to walk in. And then when the train started coming off, coming apart in front of him, he's like, "Holy fucking shit, what's going on?" I mean, that's the best way I think to get a good reaction out of your actors is just and, lie to yeah, him. He had to he had to go and look at like the day and stuff he had to look at at the shots that they had gotten so that he could match his reaction in the coverage shots because he gave a performance he didn't expect to give so he had to match that performance um but he looks like i read when i read that kind of trivia i'm just like yeah right but i look at his performance and i'm like i believe that i believe that he's that hugh jackman is like what the hell is going on right now um, um so I do want to talk a, just for a second about what Magneto's goal in all of this is because I feel like he has a pretty streamlined goal and once it's revealed that he's not in fact hunting uh Wolverine he's hunting Rogue and makes, What is the young people I don't line? Know. He fucking knocks but her out with some some knockout he, juice. He knocks Rogue out and his comment is young people and young I'm just people. like because I'm so because old. I'm old. I'm so, old and young people so run that's, away. That's the comment we're gonna. Young s- people. That's what we're sticking with is young people. Yeah. Yeah. I, okay. I guess it's it's you a try again. It's a weird choice. But speaking of weird, weird choices, why? Like if his goal seems to be straight, pretty streamlined, pretty straightforward. Once we know what he's actually after, there's uh, there's nothing that has kind of. Uh, gotten in the way of that in the story I think nothing that would make that seem like it doesn't make sense mm. except for the fact that he's he hurt Magni or he hurt Xavier well I mean you were saying that but I think the reason he hurts Xavier he doesn't kill him he doesn't kill and him I but think, he puts that juice in Cerebro but why does he do I that? I think it's just to keep him out of the way because because he wants to well okay so he hasn't done it yet yes he has no he hasn't because because Xavier's oh, oh, the one controlling him right, right now Xavier hasn't been hurt yet but he's put the juice in, right. in Cerebro right but I mean look at what Xavier is doing when he's not out of commission he's, I guess this he's does screwing kind of up Magneto's plans right now he's controlling his henchmen so yeah. so I think that's why I mean, I get what you're saying. It's kind of weird, but I, I guess for me, I've just never thought it was that weird because it's like, we got to get Xavier out of the way. Otherwise, he's going to fuck shit up. I don't know. It just, it feels like Magneto's goals in this are very like tunnel vision-esque, like where he's got an idea and that's what he's going to, I mean, so much so that he doesn't care, like his goal is to make this mutant ray turn people into mutants, but he doesn't even care when he finds out that the mutant ray kills people, that it doesn't just turn them into mutants it's going to kill them he's just no, gonna murder I know. people and, and I feel like that's a, a bit and the fact that he uses Rogue instead of himself I mean Logan points it out Wolverine points it out and says if you're so righteous then why aren't you, why aren't you up the there? one yeah. in the machine no, and I right. agree that I feel like Magneto would be the one in the machine yeah I think so 
Um, so I do think that that his character perhaps goes a bit sidetracked at the end of this yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Some of the things he stands up for because the thing we haven't talked about it, but the thing that makes this this ongoing conflict so interesting and compelling is the fact that both sides got a fucking point. Like oh, both both, both oh, yeah. sides are totally legit. And um I I mean I've always maintained that understanding the relationship between Xavier and Magneto's stances on on this the issue um, the issue at hand is understanding the parallels with Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X respectively. Right. Right. And I don't think that anyone is completely the hero or completely the villain uh, in in this story. If you're going to tell the story the right way, and I feel like this is a story that understands that. Um, all they would have had to do to fuck up an X-Men movie is just misunderstand the, that's, those simple parallels right there. But I, I think that Brian Singer nails it. Yeah. Well, I mean, Magneto's early history is frequently compared to Malcolm X. Right. Um, as well as the, uh, the Jewish Defense League leader, Rabbi Meyer Kahane, I believe is how you say it. Okay. Um, who, it was like, in 68 he founded uh the jewish defense league which was oriented towards self-defense like it is exactly what it sounds like um and he resents uh magneto resents the pacifist attitudes of characters like xavier who who you know is is a pacifist right like he's very obviously the martin luther king kind of character and and i think that that is one of the many ways that you can read this movie. You can yeah. read it through sexuality. You can read it through race. You can read it through read it through religious persecution. Um, it's very easy to 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 make those draw those conclusions, and I think they do it well. And both sides have a stake in it. I how would you feel about how would you feel? I know that in the comic books they're they're white and you would have to change their backstories a little bit, I guess, or at least you'd have to change Magneto's backstory in this movie. How would you feel about making, drawing those parallels even closer and making Professor X and Magneto uh, portraying, having black characters portray them? How would I feel about that? I mean, I'm always up for that. I always think that's fine. I think that would be... I, I think it's I, I think cool and would, I think it's fine. I, I never have any problem with... When somebody tells not, me I mean, they're going to... Not to put too fine a point no, on it. No, right. But I think and that, that would be the only fear of doing that is that you would be t- putting too fine a point on it. Um, but just as a blanket statement for me, I think race swapping and gender swapping in films and stuff is is always a fantastic idea. Yeah. I, I very rarely... Uh, you know, you want to tell me James Bond or Spider-Man or somebody's going to be black and I think that's fucking a brilliant idea and why haven't we done it or a woman or a woman yeah, also yeah. that would be also fine Jillian Anderson for Bond right I'm all, I'm all the about way it. I am on board with that Jane Bond I'm down totally down I'm down it. or Idris um, Elba I, at this point it's either Jillian Anderson or Idris Elba if it's not one of those eh I mean fine I guess <laughs> but anyways so yeah you if you you but it's going to be another white dude it's going to be another white dude well of course it is but anyway, you know, <laughs> um, maybe someday, maybe um, someday. But yeah, so if we cast these characters as as black characters, the only fear I would have is that you then are putting a very fine point on it, which which is something I feel like it's already pretty obvious. Um, and and when you put too fine a point on something, you can detract from it. Right. So it's kind of like Zootopia, right? 
Zootopia just goes a little, a little too, too on the nose. It's a, it's really on the nose, and then it starts like meandering into like conspiracy theorist territory, <laughs> where you're like, "What's this about? We need to do." Man, Zootopia would be a great yeah, episode no, to do. We should do Zootopia. I, we really it. liked it. We're not saying we don't. Like oh, I, it. We, I, I really did really, like it. Really liked it. Totally but, did. but that's the kind of thing where I'm talking about. I feel like they hit it a little bit too hard a couple times with some of the issues they were talking about. When you don't leave things under the surface just enough. Did we? Did we already miss the line where where Storm says, "At least I've chosen a side." I think we did. I just wanted to note that that shot in particular was out of focus, had bad ADR, <laughs> bad ADR. She had a terrible accent. I think I think no one showed up to work that day. <laughs> Halle Berry just turned on some lights and turned on the camera and got her shot, got her coverage, <laughs> and left. Um, I do want to I do want to say that I kind of agree with the, the Scott Summers, the Slim Scott Slim Summers. <laughs> he's kind of right when he tells Xavier that Wolverine will endanger the mission. He's like, "Wolverine, suit no, up. Right? Get get you a uniform." And Scott Summers is like, "No, that's bad. That's a bad idea, right? He will endanger the mission." And and Professor X is like, "You do you do as your t- No, how does he say it? He says, "Resolve this." You guys resolve this. You work this out, which just means that that Wolverine ends up coming along. But he's right. Mm-hmm. Again, Wolverine is a metal man, right? And they're mm-hmm. going to fight a man who controls, controls metal. metal. Yeah, leave and him. And does at home. it get them in trouble? Um, yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, ultimately, of course, he saves the day because he's Wolverine, right? And these aren't actually X Men movies; they're Wolverine movies, right? I mean, that's a that's a discussion for a different day. Or is it? <laughs> or is it? I mean, it's kind of a discussion for now. I haven't watched any of the Wolverine movies. I've seen all the X-Men movies except for Apocalypse. We haven't watched it yet. Um, but They're but terrible. I've, I've never watched any of the Wolverine oh, the, movies. The first Wolverine movie is really terrible. And the sec- because I heard they were really bad. The first so. one's really fucking terrible. And the second one, the Wolverine, is... Isn't the second okay. one set in Japan? Yes. And he fights Silver Samurai at the end. And it's kind of a kind of devolves into video kind of video gamey last fight the last boss kind of shit but it's all right i mean it's okay it could have been a lot worse i kind of would have liked to see the darren aronofsky wolverine movie that, that didn't wasn't had. the f- first wolverine called wasn't it called like x-men, X-Men origins? origins wolverine right as though to be a as though they were going yeah. to do origin stories of all the x-men but then the, the first one, one sucked so bad the next that one they was couldn't. supposed to be magneto the next one was supposed to be x-men origins magneto but they never got around to it because wolverine sucked so bad yeah well um, let's see. Oh, I wanted to talk about, uh, we, we passed it, but when, when they were on the train, um, that's where, where my, I believe that there are some sexual undertones and stuff. And I yeah, think I'm totally, I'm totally right in saying that because, well, I'll tell you. Um, but so Rogan Wolverine are sitting on the train together and, and she's talking about the first boy who she kissed and put into a coma and then Wolverine. And these are the two people who she's taken powers from. And she says she can still feel both of them. And you're sitting there going, you can feel them inside feel, you? What's that mean? Feel, feel these what's, boys what's inside of you? Is that like a spank um, bank? And, and 
And I do not believe that Wolverine is attracted to Rogue. I never get creepy vibes whatsoever. Oh, I don't either. And that's not a, at that all. Is, that is a fine line. It to is walk. a fine line. It is a fine line, and it is pulled off very, very well in this movie because you completely get the sense that he wants to take care of her, that he that he uh, feels strongly toward her, but never creepy level. And I think having him have a romance with an adult woman in this movie definitely helps that. Um, but it's also just his performance around her. It's just done well. However, though, that's not saying that she that that uh, this isn't a, a one way street is what I'm saying. Um, yes. And Rogue definitely, I believe, has some attraction to Logan as yeah. this older man who's kind of rescued. Definitely. Her. Yeah, definitely. Um, and. And for me, I don't think that's creepy and not because I'm I'm being ageist or sexist or anything like that. I just think that that the concept of a young woman who's sort of just learning about her sexuality and stuff being attracted to an older man isn't surprising to me. Yeah. Um, and and I think even the movie even well, confirms all, it at the also, end. But it's also like um it's that idea of you never forget your first and she is the first other as far as we know, the first mutant that she's met that's not her right yes um and and at the end the movie kind of uh tells me i'm correct because i believe it's Jean gray who says she's a little taken with you yeah. at the end of the movie and so they um, put it into words they do yeah they um, make it real but anyways though i i think that that just plays into into a lot of the themes we've been talking about about um about Puberty and coming of age and sure. all of that kind of stuff and tying that into the mutant abilities. We, we didn't, and we're getting behind again. Uh, we didn't talk about Senator Kelly's death scene. I thought it was pretty rough. Um, the the CGI, I mean, looked pretty rough. But I think that ultimately the transition from CGI to actual water on the table when he turns into the mm. water puddle um, is not too bad. No, I don't think it's all, don't think ultimately it's too, bad, it's too bad. And it does look like a terrible death almost as terrible as the wig that they put on Halle Berry's head. And what's this toad jumping thing where he's just crushing people to death? That's just Well, he's a toad. Okay. Um, And then we saw Jean Grey go into Cerebro. Oh, here's a a rogue and mystique moment. We saw Jean Grey go into Cerebro. Mm Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, in order to find out where Magneto's going. Right. As though it's not totally obvious. Well, let's see. We have the largest gathering of world leaders in history coming together to talk in the same state, coming together like the same state as where, you know, uh, 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 Xavier and them are to talk about mutant problems. Yes. Mutant rights worldwide. So where I do you think he's going to be? where they would go. But she had to use Cerebro and go, I know he's, I know, I know where he is. I know it, I know it, I know where Magneto's going. I know where he's going. But yeah, anyway. no, I agree. It's a little, it's a little, it's a little obvious. I think that this movie, and I, it's not to say that I don't still really like this movie, but um, I do think that this movie, as it goes, really, really slowly falls apart. Consistently, <laughs> consistently, but really slowly kind of falls apart. I don't even know if it falls apart. It's just you can kind of see the totally, pieces no, no, no. sort of like spreading away from each other. Yeah, it, yeah exactly. It, it never totally falls apart, but it does get to the point. I think the pacing in this movie is something that going back to a superhero movie of this kind, which, I mean, this was kind of setting up the... Um, 
I guess the structure of superhero movies. Mm -hmm. It's the first one that tried to do it again. Um, So I think that now we've got movies like Civil War that are like two and a half hours long and are breakneck fast. I mean, the pacing is so tight and so quick because they've got so much information and so many things to get across. Mm And they've got to hit these action beats one after the other. Um, and you end up going to Civil War and you come out and you're like, God, that was a really fun time. But what an assault on the senses, right? Yeah. And then you watch this movie that's, I mean, an hour and 44 minutes. It's like an hour and 45 minutes. And I remember minutes. us repeatedly while we were taking notes going, this feels long. It, it, it this does. This feels long. It does. The pacing is so slow and deliberate. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't make them the same way anymore. That little, that little thing, little nod right there to the X Men comics where uh, Wolverine has some snarky remark to say about their leather costumes. Oh, that was the hint for this week. The the picture of the screenshot of the basketball on the basketball court. Um, no one got it. A little too obscure. Uh, but yeah, that little comment there where he says, "What would you prefer, yellow spandex?" And yeah, yes, the answer is yes. I would prefer. I would prefer the original X-Men costumes because now we live in a world where all the superhero movies have superheroes in pretty much, uh, if if not comic book accurate, very much comic book inspired. Um, and they look awesome. And they look great. And it's really fun. And Tur- it's just turns like... Turns out, turns out superhero costumes are very fucking cinematic. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very much so. Well, I mean, and come on, like, you know, we like we're sitting here and we're bitching about the names and stuff and trying to find a way to make them be integrated into the world and not lose them, but still be serious. How would and they blah, know? Blah, blah. How would they have known? I mean, so I know I know. I, a, give... I mean, it's a noble effort. They've all got these black leather costumes on that have like trim and lining that is the color of their comic book costumes. Mm-hmm. So like Wolverines has got yellow and Storms is white and Cyclops is blue. So, I mean, Right, I get it. But it's like, like I said, they were still learning. They really weren't sure what they were going to do and uh, like what they needed to do to make things work. And this was one of those things where it's just like, no, man, just let them have the costumes, which we know now works totally well. It's fine. They're crazy people anyways. Right. Like that's how we see superheroes in, in the Marvel Cinematic Universes. They're kind of nut jobs anyways. They're people who are going out and doing this crazy stuff. So yeah, dress them up in crazy clothes. Sure. It's fine. Why not? Whatever. And we've got excuses for why, like, their costumes are, you know, super made with super material that does this and that and whatever. And it's it's fine. It works. Um, Let him have the costumes. Let's talk about the characters in this movie as far as, like, characterization goes, because I feel like there are only a handful of characters, much less, maybe half, half of the characters that are in the movie actually get what we would call characterization or good characterization. Yeah. I think that uh, of the X-Men, you've really only got Rogue, Wolverine, um, Professor X, and then Gene and Cyclops kind of get a little bit. I think Storm is totally left in the oh, cold. Yeah, completely. Totally left in the cold. Um, Cyclops doesn't get much past he's a dick. I always thought this moment was cute. You probably think it's dumb now, but I always well, thought the, it's fan servicey. It's you it know, is a little fan servicey. Well, We're talking about when he goes through the metal detector and it goes off, and then he does like the middle claw instead right. of the middle. I finger. always thought it was funny when I was a kid. I mean, and I'm watching it now, and I'm still like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm okay with it still. Well, and that's that's the weird thing. I f- I feel like 
starting at this point in the movie, once they're on Ellis Island, um, as many people know, if you know a lot about like the, the, the production history of this movie, uh, at one point, Joss Whedon did, did have his hands on the script. Right. Um, Guess it is time to talk about that. And I feel like all of Joss Whedon's stuff is bottom loaded into this movie. Mm-hmm. Because up to this point, this movie has not had much of a sense of humor. Right? Yeah. Well, and and coming into this, what we're about to talk about, if you aren't a longtime listener of the podcast, then perhaps you don't know that we're both pretty big Whedon fans. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm a big fan of uh, a great deal of what Joss Whedon yeah. has done. I was I was into Buffy like hardcore I mean, his, when I was in high I school. I understand the cr- the criticisms against his writing style, and yes, it can get tiresome. But I think more often than not, it's it's flowery and stylish in a way that I appreciate. It's you know if if a if a beautiful film that doesn't have much substance can be eye candy, I consider Joss Whedon type writing to be ear candy. Yeah, it just yeah. sounds it hits the ears the right way. Yeah, for me, me too. And and I think um, there are a couple jokes that land here. And I think they land because they're Whedon jokes. And then there is one glaringly horrible joke that everyone makes fun of when they talk about this movie. And I'm pretty sure it's a Whedon joke. And Oh, it definitely is. And it almost, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty much universally accepted that it is. And the, it is not say, his fault. They say that, that there's only two lines of his that made it into the movie. Uh, and that was um, the line that we're about to get with. Well, it's it's here in a couple of minutes because Storm has to get knocked down the elevator shaft. Uh, but it's a line that Storm has. And then it's the one after Wolverine uh, supposedly kills, presumably kills Ma- uh, Mystique. I think that right there with the pole, I mm-hmm. think that was a Darth Maul reference. I mean, <laughs> I think it was. I'm pretty sure Toad grabbing the pole and doing the little move with it was a Darth Maul reference. Sure looks like Darth Maul. Because why Why else would you do... He doesn't fight with the pole, does he? No, I don't think so. I don't remember. I think that shot is so fucking cool when, when Mystique like jumps through the air and transforms back into Mystique mm-hmm. and kicks him upside the face. Um... Uh, but yeah, we'll we'll talk about the lines when when we get to them. But um, I do like this this fight scene with Mystique and and Wolverine. Um, that little ping sound. Did you hear that? The little metallic sound uh, when yeah. she kicked Wolverine in the balls was the first time that we've heard the noise since the cage match when his opponent was told not to hit him in the balls because he'll take it personal. Are his balls metal? No. No, he didn't get adamantium grafted onto his nuts. <laughs> well. He doesn't have an adamantium dick either, but he might have a little claw that comes out of his urethra. That's awful. <laughs> it is, it's terrible. And it hurts every time. What? <laughs> but not for him. Also for him, yes. Oh, Jesus. That's, that's, a, that's a profoundly fucked up thing that just came into my brain. <laughs> and now I can't get it out. Um, <laughs> anyway, um... I still yeah, haven't talked about Mystique, but okay, so here's the line, though, so now we're going to talk about it. Okay, so yeah, th- this, is a, this is famously a terrible line in this movie that I think um, most people didn't understand and maybe still don't understand when it's spoken, but the line is, of course, when Storm is about to kill Toad, she says, do you know what happens to a Toad when it's struck by lightning? And the answer is the same thing that happens to everything else. And I don't think it's a bad line. 
No. I, I think the performance is what's is bad. It, and it and it's just that the performance is 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 wrong. And you'll see right here, the way she gives the performance is just completely serious. It's totally yeah, it's totally matter the of fact. The same thing it's totally that happens to everything else. As though that's like the actual, I don't know, like it's, the line is a reversal. It's a, it's really a rhetorical kind of question that she's asking where she's, where you expect there right. to be something that happens to a toad when it's struck by lightning. What happens to a toad when it's struck by lightning? And you're does sitting it, there thinking does it like, explode? does it explode? Does it do this? Does it do something? And the way that she finishes the line should be the same thing that happens to everything else. Doy. Like that. Yeah. That kind of, like, of course it's going <laughs> to fuck <Duh>. you up. <laughs> you're going to die, bitch. Like, <laughs> yeah, it sucks to get struck by lightning. Here it is. Boom. You're dead. Like that, right. that like, should be the way she, but the way delivers it's the delivered line. is the same thing that happens to everything else. <laughs> and you're just like that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you Look, for that I don't information. Think I, I don't think I get it. I know that when I heard that line the first I time, never got I it. didn't get it. I was like, I was like did I miss something? What is that mean <laughs> what happens to because everything she else says it as though it's like it's like it, it, it means something like <laughs> as though it means like it means something other like you than said, you get fucked right. up <laughs> you're sitting there thinking what happens when other oh, things the, get that's the other line the other line we just saw right here um when oh the dick line that supposedly is the only other line that of joss whedon's that makes it into the into the movie is um uh, don't don't it's it's me it's the how do I how do I know it's the real you he says Cyclops says it to Wolverine after he's killed uh, Mystique uh, and he says you're a dick and he goes okay okay All right, let's go. <laughs> and it's, it's a great line it it's is pretty wonderful good. and it definitely sounds like Whedon so um but yeah so one of them landed and one of them didn't land and I think it just completely depends on on uh, your actors knowing what they're supposed to be how they're supposed to be playing those lines I argue that there is another line that Joss Whedon almost definitely wrote that he doesn't get credit for what's that and that's the one coming up right here when someone says maybe it's uh, Wolverine oh, he says don't you live in a school I know what yeah, you're talking yeah. about yeah Wolverine tells Storm to fry Magneto he says Storm fry him and Magneto says oh no he says it to Scott uh, Scott Summer says Storm fry him right a bolt of lightning in a huge co copper conductor I thought you lived at a school yeah <laughs> That does sound a little Whedon-y. It does sound a little Whedon-y. I do think Ian McKellen kind of flubs the line a little bit. Because mm. I didn't know that's exactly what he said until we watched it this time with, with subtitles. subtitles. Yeah. yeah. It sounds kind of like he says, I, I, thought that you, I thought you lived at the school. I don't yeah, know. It doesn't, know. It doesn't, it doesn't, land, it doesn't right. land totally right. And that's what, I mean, when you were doing Whedon, Whedon, Whedonese, <laughs> when you were speaking Whedonverse, um, then, then you have to be directed appropriately. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because the, the lines have to land and he has this very specific kind of sarcasm that, that really you have to, your actors I mean, got to be in on it. And I say this is the second time I brought up David, David Mamet in like a few weeks. So I don't know. I don't know why this is happening, but it's also like David Mamet. David Mamet insists that everything that you need in a performance is on the page and that you don't actually need a director. That's how he writes his stuff. And I absolutely, as someone who has directed David, David Mamet, Mamet right. directed a David <laughs> Mamet play, you know, for the stage, uh, I can tell you that, that you absolutely have to direct <laughs> David Mamet. 
<laughs> so I mean, that's cool. That's that's, a, that's a cool. Hilarious. That's a cool philosophy to write by, but a, that's not a great philosophy to actually direct a show. Right, by. and we've talked about that in light of like new criticism and new historicism and stuff like that, and talking about how how you know uh, when you're teaching lit theory, it's, when you're well, talking taking, about lit theory, it's taking death of the author to a weird place that I don't think. Right, is where, intended by that. Right, phrase. where you're saying like you don't need anything but what's on the page. Only what's on that's the new critical reading is that you only look at exactly what's on the page Dude, and nothing about that. the context. Fuck and, that. and I mean, it's a fun exercise, but um, yeah, but it's and, more and of a, I think it, it, but it's, I think, a, it's a thought experiment more than anything else. It's yeah. like how would this work if you didn't have context and you can explore it that way, but. I don't think it works most of the time. But anyways, I think it's kind of in the same realm of ideas where like David Mamet is talking about um, uh, only only what's on the script is what you need to get by. And I don't think that's true either. Um, okay, so before we get to the end, I still haven't talked about Mystique, and I had some interesting stuff about well, her. she's out of the movie now, so... Oh, fuck you. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay, so Mystique first appeared in Miss Marvel in 78... Um, if you don't know a lot about her, I would be surprised, but she's the shapeshifter. She can mimic voice and appearance perfectly. Uh, founded the Brotherhood of Mutants. Why is it called a brotherhood if it's founded by a woman? Sisterhood of Mutants, bitch. No, I'm just serious. Why it would should you, be. No, why you're right. gender you're it like that? 100% right. Um, what is the gender neutral hood? I don't know. Just don't call it something hood. The personhood of mutants. Just call it the group of mutants or whatever. The just co- pick a, coalition a non-gendered... of the coalition of mutants. Anyways, um, at some point it's mentioned that she's over a hundred years old in some of the comics. Okay, uh, like Wolverine. Mom, she is the mom of Nightcrawler. Oh, I did know that. Who she was forced to abandon and then later adopted Rogue. Um, okay, so here's the interesting part. Uh, her lover was a character named Destiny, Irene Adler, who was a, a blind precognitive woman she met in 1900. What? Okay. As when was far, this? Char- when was this introduced? This as relationship? far back as 81. <gasps> um, writers meant for the two women to be lovers, and apparently, here's the really cool part. Apparently, Mystique took the form of a man while they were having sex, so that so that they could have Nightcrawler. What? Yeah. But back then they prohibited the explicit portrayal of gay or bi characters. And so I don't know. I think it didn't come out till later that that was the origin or whatever. But all the way back in 81, that was the plan. That's fucking incredible. Isn't it? I did not know that. Yeah. So I told you I was going to talk about like transgender stuff and that's where I was going to slip it in. So that's interesting. That's interesting. Isn't that super interesting? Wow. Um, anyway, who knew that the X-Men were even trying to be that progressive back then? I mean, of course, they've always been kind of the comic that talks about shit, like the mainline comic mm-hmm. that talks about shit. Um, but even so, like they've still been kind of goofy hero books. Right. right? Yeah. Always. But it, anyways, yeah. So just just keep that in mind. Mystique had a baby with another woman by transforming into a man while they had sex. That's interesting. That's super interesting. Um so yeah, the the little the little bit. Of, oh, and also, the thing about Mystique in this movie is that if you were to watch this movie with all with the context again, we're talking about context. The context of uh, 
all of the other movies that have mm-hmm. come out now, especially the new movies oh, where yeah. Jennifer Lawrence plays Mystique and she is like basically a main character. Like right, she gets yeah. all this characterization. You know, she was best friends with uh, with Xavier when they were children, and mm-hmm. then she ends up going to uh, Magneto's side and all that kind of stuff. In this movie, she's not even a character. Yep. Like the most characterization we get is one line where she says to Senator Kelly, "It's because of people like you, I was afraid to go to school as a child," and that's it. Which and is I a think, good line, I but think that's, that's it. the that's one of the major criticisms from fans about this movie is that the characters don't get any time to really be developed. Exactly. And it's kind of hard because it, well, let's I mean, there's, face it, there's guys, a re- it was a hundred it was a yeah, a hundred and forty no, no, an no, hour and an hour and forty forty minutes, right? So something like that. But I mean, that's also the reason why a movie like X Men Apocalypse is two and a half fucking hours right, long, right? Because they're actually characterizing these characters now, and they have been for the past. I mean, since X Two, I feel like they really learned their lessons from this movie when they made X Two, which I think is way better than this. X Two is my favorite one of the series. Oh, you so think X Two is better than this one? Oh yeah, yeah, way better. I haven't seen the sequels in many, many years. I think so. it's about time that I revisit all of them. But yeah, I, I remember X two being my favorite. Isn't of these. the third one really bad? Yes, terrible, it's terrible. Brett Ratner, who was in the running to direct this movie uh, when they were putting it together, um, actually managed to make an X-Men movie, and that was uh, X-Men The Last Stand, and he taught everyone what a bad X-Men movie could look like. I want to watch them in order. Thanks for that, Brett Ratner. Well, if you in order of being made or chronological. Chronological order. If you watch them in chronological order, you don't have to watch X-Men The Last Stand anymore. See? Because it's it, fantastic. They, they fucking wrote that out of the <laughs> out of the chronology in uh in X-Men Days of Future Past. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, anyway. Yeah, what I was saying about Mystique though is you watch all those movies with all of that characterization, watching them chronologically. Right. And then you watch this movie and you're like, wow, Mystique doesn't have a lot to do. And holy shit, they just stabbed her to death. And she doesn't actually die in this movie, but her presumed end at Wolverine's hands is holy fuck, Wolverine just killed this character right. that I have grown to love yeah. and care about exactly. and other characters care about yes. where's where's Magneto's reaction to her death where's, where's Xavier's reaction, reaction to her death mm-hmm. like all of that stuff means something yeah. now and of course it didn't mean something in the year 2000 right not course. not like it does today um, here's another example of, of X-Men using powers together interesting power combinations yeah this like, was this was a nice I think Storm lifting Wolverine up and having Jean Jean Grey like stabilize him in the air. Yeah, it's 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 good. It's people thinking when they're writing, which is always always (laughs) encouraging. But anyway, what are you saying? I encourage all writers to think while they write. What Um, were you saying? I don't remember what I was saying. Um, I in this scene right here, uh, once they have freed Rogue from the mutant Ray. And she seems to be dead. Wolverine is going to um, take off his glove and try to have her use her power against him to heal and come back to life. And it doesn't seem to work. And then when it does work, it works really fucking well. And I think that conceptually, it's kind of an interesting idea to have Wolverine's all of his old wounds come back, like reopen. Mm. I think conceptually that's a really interesting idea. Uh, but the first point I wanted to make about that is that of all the wounds that open up like all over his face and shit, the 
uh, his the claw openings, the wounds where his claws come out, don't open. Oh, they totally a, should. Which is a weird thing to miss, especially because they drew attention to it. Yeah. With these two same characters Aww. in like the first scene that they were together. Yeah, I mean, so they totally should. That's have. a really weird oversight. And second of all, I think it kind of says something they don't intend to say about the nature of Wolverine's powers and that he never f- actually heals. Mm-hmm. Like if those old wounds can come back, then he never actually heals from those wounds. Yeah. But I don't think that's true. I think he well, does. Well, I mean, maybe over time, maybe it's just like the most recent thing or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, um, talking about powers and how they work, um, I didn't talk about it because we were busy talking about uh, Whedon speak. But um, uh, when Mystique turns into a, a fake Statue of Liberty. <laughs> can she do that? Can she do that? Because... She's supposed to be able to transform into any living thing. But then I thought about it and I was like, oh, but she does like transform clothing. She does make clothing appear and clothing's not living. And apparently in the comic books, this has been some sort of contention between fans as they've gone back and forth. And it's kind of her powers are kind of messy about what they can and cannot do. Because Mm -hmm. sometimes in the comics, she even like makes weapons appear and stuff. Yeah, it's Um, she's kind of a. And she can she, she be larger like a, than she is or smaller she, than she is, which doesn't oh, really? make sense. really? That doesn't really make sense either. So mm-hmm. she's kind of like a T-1000 a little bit. Yeah. She can like I morph so. her hand into weird blades and shit. Well, like she or have like apparently used the metal from clothing to make guns look, or whatever. Look at the magnificent mane of chest hair that Patrick Stewart has. Oh, we missed it. Fuck. Are we not going to get another shot of it? We better. Of Patrick Stewart. Patrick chest Stewart's hair? chest hair is magnificent. I'm. I'm I mean, we're I'm busy not, looking at Logan's chest right now. I'm so. not a hundred percent careful now. Why are you looking at his chest? What's that? I'm not a hundred percent sure that that uh, Patrick Stewart isn't Beast. I think that Tank McCoy right there on that table. That's uh, that's the only X Man I know. Can he be two X Men? <laughs> no, no, he can't. Well, maybe if he went in the machine and he became a double X Men. <laughs> <laughs> he gets zapped by the mutant oh. ray, and he's like, "And now I am also Beast." Hello, everyone. <laughs> what I wanted to say, the other thing I forgot to say that I wanted to is when I watched this movie when I was younger, the thing I always wanted so bad, and you know, I'm going to be honest, I still kind of want it, is I wanted a YA uh, story about just the teenagers in in this school. I am, I can't tell you specific stories in the comics, but I am almost 100% positive that they've done that kind of shit more than once with different runs of the series. Well, if and you... And probably more recent than you think. If you, dear poopling, uh, who knows more comic lore and stuff than I do know of the YA young adult kind of themed takes place in Xavier's school for the gifted um and it's about like the teenagers and their powers and all of that I would totally read the shit out of that so please (laughs) please please direct me to one that doesn't suck because that's also very important if it sucks (laughs) then I'm gonna be just as sad as it not existing uh, so we're we're kind of winding down to the end of the movie. Um, oh, I wanted to say when when Jean Grey said that Rogue took on a few of your more charming personality traits for oh, a while. I want to see that. Right. I want to see. I want to see her be you know rude and nasty. I want to see Rogue chomping a cigar. Uh huh. That would yeah, be awesome. that would have been so cool. So do do you think that the X Men are the only ones who saw Mystique's obviously yellow eyes on national TV for like a full two seconds? You think they're the only ones? 
<sighs> Come on. Um, if you actually listen carefully during this newscast, you'll hear uh, the announcer say that uh, Henry Gyrich's body was found. The person mauled that, by a bear. Mauled by a bear, and it, it suggests that he was killed by Sabertooth. I think. Um, I I I do think. What was I going to say? There were a couple moments we didn't point point them all out, but there were a couple a little bit too much talky moments where we kind of explained a couple things that didn't need to be explained in this movie. Right. Um, one of them being the senator on the TV just now. I mean, come on, we all get it. It's we saw Mystique sure. was alive. Like we get that it's going to be her. Right. Um, we don't need to see her yellow eyes. They can just and watch. they also say her name. They're also like Mystique. Yeah. I mean that could. Be be fine that that would be enough if we see the center on tv the two. yeah we one of the two not both either not we, both, we see please. the yellow eyes and we're like oh fuck it's mystique or we don't see the yellow eyes and they're like mystique and we're like okay that explains why a character who clearly died and turned into right. a puddle of water is on television just right now. one of them please but there's another moment too that we didn't mention but there's another one where where i think it's xavier who gets a little talky about something and you're like i didn't need you to explain that but then there's also the cool thing where there are some moments where he doesn't explain stuff because he's he's telepathic and and he says something he's like rogue she's gone and you're just like oh great we got to skip oh, over yeah, all that nice. exposition okay. thank yeah, you good okay good but Halle Berry still has to run in and say that Senator Kelly's dead that would be great if part of Magneto's not Magneto but Professor X's power was um, cutting everybody off before they talk oh like when he should s- totally be a dick and do that <laughs> when someone runs in to say something and you know Storm runs in she's like everyone no 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 no, no. Senator Kelly's dead <laughs> yes yes I knew it I knew it Senator Kelly's dead yes yes I knew it this is a great scene Though I will say now that the villain and the good guy playing chess together is tropey. They, well, yeah. They play chess because they're smart and always at odds. That's how you know. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I do think that the plastic prison is brilliant. Oh, yes. I don't and the know plastic that, wheelchair. And the plastic wheelchair that he's in. I don't know if that's in the comics. Again, I'm not that well versed in the comics. And there's a lot of fucking X-Men comics. Uh, if Magneto's ever been put in prison, was it a plastic prison like this? I don't know. Uh, until I find out otherwise, until I learn otherwise, I'm just going to give this movie credit for it. But the plastic prison's fucking incredible. So cool. It so is super cool. cool. Um, Magneto does talk about in this scene having mutants in chains with a number burned into their forehead, mm-hmm. which is obviously, you know, describing a similar situation to what happened to uh, the Jews and other nonconformists in Nazi Germany, um, which obviously Magneto experienced firsthand. Right. Um, and then in this last line right here of Magneto's, he says that he will continue fighting this war by any means necessary. Guess who said that? I mean, it was coined, obviously, by Malcolm X. And uh, like I said before, the relationship between Magneto and Professor X has been compared uh, respectively to that of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, uh, both of whom held different philosophical views, but with similar end goals. Right. And both of whom, when you're looking back on the history, you can sort of lean toward either side yeah. and totally see both both Dif- sides of the argument. Different so. means, same end. Uh, we did see the name for David Hayter that I just wanted to mention uh, briefly. Uh, this was his first screenplay ever uh, as a screenwriter. He also wrote The Scorpion King, uh, the sequel to this, X2. He wrote Watchmen for Zack Snyder. And he directed and wrote a movie called Wolves that I've never heard of until this moment. I feel like I have heard of a movie called Wolves. But let's talk about his real accomplishments. As an actor, he starred in 
Guyver 2, Dark Hero, and he was the voice for many years of Solid Snake in the Metal Gear Solid series until Kiefer fucking Sutherland stole that shit from him. Stole it like a thief in the night. Um, another line that we that we didn't mention that I love is uh, I love when when Xavier says I feel a great swell of pity for the poor soul who comes to that school looking for trouble. No shit, right? <laughs> what a great line! And don't they do that though? In it's either in the second one or the third one where I feel like they do come and attack the school. Somebody comes and attacks the school. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think the school gets attacked at least twice throughout the series. Yeah. But anyways, though, regardless of what happens in the in the later movies, I still think that's a great line and it's totally legit where it's like, yeah, that's a poor choice to go uh attack a school of the m- hormonal mutant teenagers. The music, while not composed by John Ottman, who is kind of considered the Brian Singer music collaborator at this point, like he's the one. Um it was composed by Michael Kamen. Welcome back to the show. Uh, he also composed the music for The Dead Zone, which we've covered, and Die Hard, which we have covered. But he also uh, did the amazing scores for Brazil, Highlander, Lethal Weapon, Roadhouse, Mr. Holland's Opus, and The Iron Giant. Uh, and apparently Brian Singer initially approached John Williams uh, to, to do this uh, score, but he wasn't available because he was scoring Saving Private Ryan at the time. Um, and there was I could have gone for a John Williams score. There was a this. lot happening in movies at this time. Uh, Ian McKellen had to have his shooting schedule for this moved around so that he could do this because he had just accepted the role of Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Oh, so he was about to go off to, to New Zealand and Brian Singer moved some stuff around so he could do both. And Doesn't, doesn't yeah. he have an awesome shirt that people have taken pictures of him in that says something like something about being Magneto and Gandalf or something like that. Um, yeah, it's a, it's photoshopped. Oh, that's the original, the original shirt was uh, he was part of a, a, a protest or a demonstration where it said, I'm gay deal with it. But people show photoshopped it to say I'm Gandalf and Magneto deal with it. <laughs> both is, shirts are cool. Both shirts are pretty fucking cool. <laughs> the latter one I'm just loving. So, okay. Um, I guess that's it. Any last thoughts? I like this movie a lot still. Yeah, I, I, I still I do, do like too. it a lot. And for the for a movie that had nothing to go off of, to, that didn't know how to make a movie like this, this is really, again, the first of its kind. I think it still holds up, and it's really impressive what they were able to do. And yeah. I think it just goes to show how successful it was because the movies being made today are still kind of following this formula. Mm-hmm. You know, they've they've sped up the pacing a little bit, but they've still kind of stayed true to that idea that you can take a comic book story seriously and you. You can tell a thematically resonant and rich story uh, with funny book characters, with characters that fly around and jump around and have cool powers. Yep. I totally agree. And I still love it, too. Um, Yeah, it's great. uh, There are things about it that haven't held up 100% for me, but for the most part, it's still completely enjoyable and great movie. So that's it for Popcorn Poops. Don't forget to stop by our website at popcornpoops.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Popcorn Poops or individually. I'm at J. Casper Kramer. And I am at Dusty Graham Graham. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to donate to the show, there's a donate button. Donate button. On the main page of our website. Of course, there's also the Popcorn Poops merchandise shop where you can show your poop ride. 
That's right. And you can also follow us on uh, Twitch TV, which is our brand new game streaming channel. You can follow us at The Pixel Poops and uh, just turn on notifications there. We don't have a schedule right now, but whenever we go live, if you have notifications on, you will be informed. If you want to help out the show and get a free audiobook, go to audibletrial.com slash popcorn poops and sign up for the free trial. Every week we feature a poo pal, a friend of the Popcorn Poops podcast. This week's poo pal is cinematicrandomness.com. That's right. It's a film website, news and reviews and all that kind of good stuff. So go check them out. If you want to be a poo pal, get in touch with us through our website or social media. You don't have to be a podcast to be a poo pal. You just have to be awesome. What are we watching next week? Next week we are continuing Hashtag Franchise Origins Month with Steve Barron's 1990 film Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles since uh, the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows just came out and uh, I'm probably going to see that on Redbox. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that'll wrap us up so until next time take care. Bye bye. We are the popcorn